Blog Talk Radio. When I was five, hired out to watch a baby And he beat me when he cried I consider that too much of a price Even though I'm thick skin, some of the scars Stay with me for life I ain't never been the type to spin around to the other chief Putting up a fight to me and my people's all are free Four brothers, four sisters, thick family I'm the fourth child, you following mathematically Guards in my veins, I can feel it in my soul Three older sisters never seen again when they were sold When they came from my brother, my mom's made them a promise Whoever tried to take them, she split and open your noggin Mommy was a rider Spiritual advisor Security provider That's why I'm alive wire When they ain't take my brother I felt the power inside of me Influenced by the moment I'll never settle for slavery Heavy metal weight In my head as a teen Now with seizures Dr. Lepsey And strange dreams From the tribe of Asante Through grandma Modesty Being free Holding my own Just a part of me You thinking about coming after me Better bring your faculty 20 miles away Before you even know what's happening Cargo on my train And it's Something like traffic. I'm happy as a conductor. I ain't never lost a passenger. I'm plotting on my escape and I'm married and feeling patient. I'm out with no debate and you silly for conversating. I'm breaking and while you waiting and I'll make it. I'll be sure to get the safest route to travel and be back for you as base. September 17th, 1849. Me and my brothers Henry and Ben said it's mine. So we left for Maryland, headed towards Freedom Land. But they feet chillied up, so we turned around and went back to the owners. Believe me, I didn't wanna. Had I knew my brothers were scared. With in the bottom A little while later Man I ran away again But this time Straight dolo fan Backs to the wind In the middle of the night In the winter In the cold I was navigating On the underground railroad Nah It ain't a literal train It's a form of resistance This was the railroad theme So a station's a safe house Where the runaways go And the runaway slaves Are considered cargo The person who hit them Considered a station master And the stockholders The one who will put the cash up Me I'm the conductor I transported the cargo routes that I took remain secret I took an old boss of my train you get on there is no rebelling grown man said he turning back and I had to tell him fam why you had me bring the metal out cock it back point it at your head and bring the devil out there's no going back besides you going snitch and I'll kill you where you stand before you sing behind the whip running from slave catches a bounty on my head until my whole fam free I don't really care had a 10 year span with 19 or so trips I done free so many slaves they calling me Moses during the Civil War Because of my skills, I became the first woman to lead an armed assault I am Harriet Tubman, you need to fall back a conductor I never ran my train off the track You thinking about coming after me, better bring your faculty 20 miles away before you even know what's happening Cargo on my train and it's something like traffic I'm Harriet the conductor, I ain't never lost a passenger All right, thank you, thank you so much. That's a brother out of New York talking about freedom and using Harriet Tugman and the Underground Railroad. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rodney Smith. I am in the air chair tonight for a special episode of Our Own Voices Live 
And what we're going to talk about with a local love guru, at least that's what I call her, uh, we're going to talk about, well, being thankful, hope, empathy, love, and compassion. And I don't think that you can truly love without being thankful for what you have to love, not having compassion and then being able to show empathy for others. So we're going to get into that tonight and share a few words. And, of course, I would not be considered the expert when it comes to love because I'm not even sure love is a thing as we see it. And our special guest, Heather Burton Berry, is going to share some of her insights on on love. And this is the season of thanks, Thanksgiving. Did you all know that this was America's first religious holiday? Yes, that's right. Thanksgiving. President Lincoln signed Thanksgiving into law to be a day of of thanks, where we just set aside everything else. As a matter of fact, we set aside our angst to give thanks. So as we are approaching Thanksgiving Day, I call it Thanksgiving season, we're going to talk about this country and maybe why it lacks or seems to lack empathy for others and how we can get back into the spirit of the season truthfully in giving thanks. So without any further ado, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live is a radio show featuring people and stories from our community in Las Vegas, the surrounding area, and someplace near you. America is the greatest country on earth due to its cultural diversity and not in spite of it. Our mission is to help bridge the cultural and ethnic divide in America by working together to build the greatest bridge in history to unite us. And let's be united through love. Let's take the time to give thanks. And let's bring on someone who knows quite a bit about love and giving thanks because she has so much to love and so much to give thanks for. Ms. Heather Burton Berry. Welcome to the show, Heather. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Rodney, for having me on here. Can you hear me? I hear you loud and clear. How do you hear me? Very, very well. Thank you. And I just want to say that you know that um, that I love you and my family loves you so much and what that means for us, because I think it's important um, as a college professor, as a therapist, to define terms. And you and I have these amazing conversations where we define so many terms and talk about what different things mean and what they um, cause people to think about or feel when they hear those words. And the word love is pretty charged. Um, And as you know, I have the Nothing But Love Roundtable Talks, which I was so blessed to have you come and speak to me at. And one of the um, really important things about love for me is that love is always a choice. Love is a choice and a decision more than it is a feeling because feelings come and go. But when you decide something, you prioritize it, you give it meaning, you give it value. And that to me is the difference between 
someone may be saying, well, I care about you, or someone saying, I care about this issue, or I love you, or I love, you know, these people, and um, and I love this issue, and I want to make this better, et cetera. So I just wanted to start with so, kind of clarifying. For me, that that's what that word means. It means I decide... And every day, um, I'm married, but I also talk about this with my children. Every day, I explain to them that you get to choose love, how you show up, and that's a choice that you have to make every day. So, Heather, let's let's share a little bit, if, if you don't mind, a little bit about who you are and how you came into this space of embracing love and letting love lead and then you follow where it goes. Can you share a little bit? Where are you from and what do you think it was in your upbringing that brought you to where you are today with this whole concept of love? So it's great because now the tables are turned and you're interviewing me. Um, (laughs) So I think, um, so I grew up in Connecticut. I was one of five children, and I would um, very often say that I was the best of the five. I was the fourth, so I said it took them a while to get to the best part, and that was the, that was me, um, but I kind of grew up in a really um, mono, like one culture society where I really craved diversity, and I craved um culture and a lot more stimulation than what I was having. So I went from Connecticut, small town, um, and I was raised in a very Irish Catholic family to college in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I was a global history of women and children major, minored in psychology, then moved the day I, the day I could I got on um, in the car, threw all my stuff in the car, and I moved to New York City. I think watching Sesame Street when I was little, I used to say, I'm going to live there when I grow up. And um, that's exactly what I did. I moved there, and I worked at a program for pregnant, addicted women. Um, So I've been a social worker for a long time. And, you know, by definition, that means you're working in society, trying to do things to make the world a better place kind of thing. Um, And I was an HIV and AIDS coordinator, so I was an educator teaching pregnant, addicted women how to protect themselves. Um, And moved through that into working in methadone treatment programs for people with active HIV and AIDS disease. So this was in the 90s. And... um, and then at some point during 1998, I became pregnant with my son, and um, we moved shortly thereafter out to Las Vegas, which is where I've been for the last 20 years, and um, now have three children, and um, so I'm the mother of two black children and one white child, and... Um, I think the concept for me of love, my parents had a very strong marriage, 
and my father would talk to me a lot about choices and the choices we make in life and the impact they have on other people. He would also talk to me about how service was love, and we would do different service with our family, but really what solidified that all for me was when I was in college and I watched people move with love. I watched people move without love. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I really want to move in the direction of love all the time. And, um, I've been blessed to have some very, unloving people in my life and some very loving people in my life. And I say that because the unloving people taught me how I did not want to be, how I did not want to raise my children. And I think that that has a huge impact on how I view the world, how I perceive what is important or valuable and what I want to do with my life, which is to spread more love and to encourage other people to to begin with love. And then when I was pregnant with my son, I knew I was going to be a single mom. I started going to yoga, not because I wanted to, but because the doctor that I had at the time required me to go. And I really went there with a bad attitude. And I had told them, I'm only coming here once to get this paper signed for my doctor. And the lady laughed at me, and she came over during the class, and she said, make sure you pay attention because you're going to do this in your life. And I said, oh, no, I am not. And she said, yes, and you will do it with great love. And I said, what? There's that word again. And um, she was right because I was back the next week practically pushing people out of the way. I have to get into this class again. And that changed my life in ways that I couldn't only imagine at the time. I could never imagine what it was going to do for me. So I'm also a yoga teacher, therapist. I work with kids and adults. And um, when I taught at CSF, I taught for seven years as a college professor there. I knew that love had to be the guide, had to be the core, had to be the motivation for me of why I was even there. Um, I'm also a stage four cancer survivor, and I know that cancer only comes for the strongest people. And so I knew then that I had to become a warrior. I just didn't know then that I needed to become a warrior of love. And it was Pastor Fowler from Victory Baptist Church who kind of solidified the concept for me that I needed to use love as my platform to really try to encourage other people to come into that space so that they could. I I really believe in in planting seeds and how planting a seed can germinate. Maybe it takes people a year, two years, a month, two months, a week, a day. We don't know what time it takes. It takes whatever time they need. But if they can come from love, if they experience love, they can choose love. And every time we choose love, we're creating that energy in the world and we're making the world a better place, right? Like I remember one time a priest said, 
you could be having a bad day and that could turn into someone else's car accident, right? And you could have a good day and that you could have a bad day and still choose love and that could turn into someone avoiding a car accident. So that's how I think about the world and I definitely recognize when I had children that they are like, your heartbeat out in the world. Someone took your heart and put it in another body and then gave it legs and a cute little face and arms and hands and feet. And and now your heart's walking around in front of your body. And I don't think that it's the easiest decision to make every day to try to approach every day with love. And I can't say that I get it right every day, but I definitely try every single day because they deserve it, I deserve it, and I know that it changes changes me, it changes them for the better. So, Heather, this is the season of Thanksgiving. I call this really when we come Thanksgiving, um, really Veterans Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, even into the New Year and uh, Dr. King's holiday, I see that as the love season. Mm -hmm. And when I say love, I'm not always sure if how I think of love is how other people think of love. And even though Thanksgiving sort of comes towards the end of the year, To me, it's almost like encapsulating the whole year and preparing us for the next year. For the new year, Uh uh-huh. I agree with that. Right, but but that's how I view it. But I consider it the love season, but I don't know if my definition of love is someone else's definition of love. So, Well, how would you you define it? Because I told you how I define it. Well, I I see love as that if we don't have that thing, we have lost or do not have some of humanity. In other words, I don't mm. believe that we can have a uh, civil society. I'll put it like that. I'll narrow it down. I don't believe we can have a civil society without love. And then the ingredients Mm. that go into making up love is there has to be compassion. Compassion, yes. There has to be empathy. Yes. To be thankful of those things. And all of that together gives us hope. And so without almost any of those ingredients, we we take a hit on our humanity. It's like the building blocks of humanity. And without one, we are less human. We we are less civil. I put it, we are less civil without those things. Because you can be human. That's to, to live, to exist. But to be human and coexist with others, 
that's when we have to have a civil society, and those are the ingredients that make up everything else that we have. Even if it was just two people on the planet, well, if you didn't have those things, there probably would be no more people. Well, it sounds like you're talking about the difference. Yeah, it sounds like you're talking about the difference between um, a good life and and a, a very different life. Because when you talk about compassion, the word passion is in there, so it's an intensity. But the, the prefix com means something about coming together. So you're bringing that together. But it's a really, compassion is an understanding that another person may suffer or succeed, and you understand that feeling, whether or not you share the exact experience with them. You have compassion. You understand that human emotion. Empathy is when you actually care about that emotion that they're going through. And you act, right? Because people say, oh, why can't people be nice? So the difference between nice, nice is about having good manners. Being kind is when you actually care about the other person and you want to treat them well because you want them to feel well and be well and experience the world in a way that brings them joy. And so... It's interesting because there's this be kind in schools. Well, is that enough? We need to teach compassion, empathy, and gratitude because without those, you're right. I don't think you have hope, but without hope, you may not have love. But if you didn't grow up knowing those things, then it would be very hard to have those things, right? So compassion has to be taught. We have to be taught that we can share the feelings that other people have. Empathy has to be taught. We have to be taught that we should care about each other because we can't survive without each other. We can't thrive without each other. We we can't live without each other. We think we can, but we don't. We don't thrive without each other. And you know, I try to tell my children, we rise by lifting others because we rise by lifting others. When we help someone else or we see that someone is suffering and we choose to approach that person with love, then what we're doing is we're not just lifting them. We're lifting them and whoever is watching that, whoever might hear about that. So that's that ripple effect where you... You might plant the seed or you might throw a rock into water and it ripples out and the effects of your, maybe your act of kindness could be, you could change the course of somebody's life. So I think these are very, very powerful things, which is why a lot of times schools don't want to talk about love because love is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing and if you can galvanize people around love and hope and empathy and gratitude and compassion, wow, you are moving humanity in a very powerful direction then. So let's let's just go to that piece that, that you said about teaching it. Suppose a person hasn't seen love 
Mm-hmm. Maybe they were brought up in a, a house that was devoid of love. Maybe even their neighborhood didn't really show love. Or maybe an entire group of people were seen as not worthy of love and not treated that way. How does that right. person come into this concept of love if love is really something foreign to them? I, I think it goes back to, well, first of all, I don't think anyone should grow up without those things, right? So there's a way that in communities or groups of people, first of all, nobody, everybody should the perspective, if the perspective was, because when I work with kids and, and I teach them this and I tell them this in yoga, I say everyone in this room is of equal value. They go, oh, okay. So kids do what they are taught. And kids, yes, they have their own mind and they have their own way of thinking, but that is largely influenced by where they're coming from and who is, who is reinforcing the messages. So if they are not taught love, they can sometimes learn by knowing what something isn't. It would be very hard to know what something is or how it feels if you've never felt it before. And the way you can do that is, you know, is a lot of teachers do what they do out of love because they don't really get paid in a way that, you know, you would be suspicious that they're not doing out of love. There are some teachers that don't teach in a loving way, but a lot of teachers do teach in a loving way. And so they're one of the second sort of lines of the building blocks, as you were saying, of humanity, the teachers, right? That's why we should really respect and appreciate teachers so much more. Um, And not just because I am one, but I'm just saying because they really, like, if people don't understand, they didn't pay attention during Corona when they were home with their kids and watching what their teachers were trying to do, trying to teach, you know, and pour love into their kids. So I think what can happen, right, is that they, they would have to experience it in some way. And for sure, whole, like, groups of people that people would suggest are unworthy of love the person who's suggesting that doesn't understand what love really is then because they are um, missing out on all kinds of amazing things that that group or that person brings to bear. If people believe in a God or a higher power, right, then how can they look at another person and not say, well, if I was made in God's image or whatever you want to call, you know, Baba, Buddha, Allah, whatever, it's all, to me, it's like kind of the same thing, just a different name. But if you were made in that image, then how could the person you're looking at right in front of you not be made in that image too? And if we are made, if we come from that, then that's in us. Then we are a part of that. So this idea that we are separating people, we're separating genders, we're separating races, we're separating sexuality, we're separating, separating, is because when you bring people together with love, you create power. And 
You can also control people if you keep them separated and you, you make them think that they're not worthy of love. That has never, ever been true. Every person that walks on the planet or sits on the planet or is on the planet, every person is worthy of love. So, you know, I, and, and I think there's different kinds of love. There's romantic love. There's filial love, like a sibling or a family member. But in all of those situations, there is still the choice where you must choose to care about what you say, how you treat the person, what you um, want for that person, what you hope for that person, how you are grateful for what that person might bring, how you understand or um, care about what they go through. All of that is love. And I think that if you haven't experienced it, then that's where other people outside of either that community or that family have to stand and provide it and have to offer it. So when we live in a society today where it seems to be increasingly more and more about me and maybe mine, How does that impact lessening empathy? In other words, if it's not mine, I'm not concerned. It's them over there. I have it. It's mine. If you want Mm -hmm. it, get yours. That tends to be the mindset of many today, and it is growing. It is almost as if there were bad seeds planted, and those seeds are sprouting up as weeds, thorns and thistles, yes. and choking off the good, uh, the good plants. So, how, how do you address that phenomena in society today through that lens of love, especially once again, as we are in what I call the season of love, and this is with. Uh, the upcoming holiday of Thanksgiving. So, okay. Well, there's a couple things that come to mind, right? Like when 9-11 happened, a whole bunch of behaviors changed that day. People were coming and donating blood and food and money and supplies and, and just trying to love each other because people were frightened. And they were their eyes were opened and we had a commingling of people and a coming together of the country and and we had a common enemy or a common you know um common frustration or common we were under attack kind of mindset so we had this really deep coming together i remember in las vegas people were coming together and and hugging each other and holding each other and my friends and family in new york were you know, saying it's like Beirut out here, but it's also I've never seen people just like hold each other and hug each other and they're covered in soot. And um, so I think one of the thing about the weeds that you were mentioning is there is this idea that your family, what they need and what they must have 
comes first. And in some ways, I understand that. But there's a collective that we're all a part of. And if we don't care, right, and it, what amazes me is some people who are very devout in their, re, in their religion, yet they disregard, right, there's biblical verses about the, the least among you will have the keys to another kingdom. Okay, well, if that's true and we're supposed to care about the person who's the least among us or suffering the most in our society, then, then how do people walk right by people who are struggling or suffering and need help? Because people are overwhelmed, people are overwrought, people are don't care some of the time. And there's this idea that, well, you should be able to do it yourself. Well, again, that goes back to empathy and compassion. If someone doesn't have the same starting point, then how are they supposed to get to the same point? They can't, right? And so there has to be some logic and awareness. But compassion also, you, you, what I mean about teaching, when children are little, my, okay, my son, right, he might get in trouble at school because he was talking. And he would say, Mommy, I got it a note. And I said, that's a consequence because of a choice you made. You made a choice. And when you are not respecting the teacher when she's speaking, she can't teach you. You might miss something fun. You might miss something important. You might miss something good. I would explain to him not only what he was doing or why it was wrong, but what may or may not be a possible consequence. The consequence could be good or bad. But a lot of times, you know, people don't teach their children that their their choice, their behavior has a consequence. It has a Right, it's like every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Okay, so if you hurt somebody, what happens? Look at their face. How do they look? Do they look happy? No, they look like they're crying. That's because they're sad. And you give language to help understand feelings and emotions and what is the consequence. If you hit that kid in the face, and they cry, that means they're sad and they don't like what you did, right? So you kind of have to, again, you have to teach them, right? You have to teach people this. And I think that's why teaching our children is really, really important and really powerful how we teach them because we can very easily teach them to care about other people and how they are. And if they don't have um here's another example of something I would do with my kids. I would ask them how are how are the other kids in school or what kind of lunches do they bring or blah blah blah. And sometimes I would say, Why don't you bring extra and if you see that so and so doesn't have, you know, food for lunch, you can give them this apple. And they and I said and and then I also talk to them about how does it make you feel when you are kind to somebody else, you say, I feel really good. So, yeah, like, how does it feel? Let's really talk about that feeling. Like, what happens to you? Well, my sometimes my stomach gets warm or my chest gets warm, and I say, that's what feeling happy feels like. And I say, that's a good feeling, huh? And they say, yes. Say, well, that's when you help someone or you are kind to them or you care about them. 
you, um, so like my youngest daughter is six years old, and she said, Mommy, I'm worried. My friend, I think she's sick. She hasn't been at school. And I said, well, would you like to have me send a message to her mom? She said, yeah, because I want to know where she is. I said, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. She's sick, and she's already compassionate about her friend. And I thought, this is great. This is exactly what she should be learning in school, although I'm the one that taught it to her. But she cared, and when we reached out, the mother said that, it, I said, she wanted to know if her little friend was okay because she said she hasn't been in school. She said, my daughter will be so happy to know that she cared enough to have you message and find out if she was okay because she's not okay. She's been sick for three days. So, again, I think it goes back to being taught, and then I think it's what's the priority, right? And then... This loving season is something that hopefully inspires people to want to carry that through to the rest of the year or the rest of their life. So we have a lot of division in this country today. We see people other. We see people as less than. How can we use this season of thanks to demonstrate love and the various elements of it to those who unfortunately either weren't taught it or it was taught out of them? Hmm. Well, first of all, there's a really interesting thing that you just said, which is for people who were not taught or it was taught out of them, um, it's really sad when that second one happens, right? Because everybody is born with love and everyone is born in such a perfect way, right? Babies are such a great way to start people because they come out perfect. And then what what do we do to them? <laughs> that whole process happens. Um, and we believe, I think, in a lot of ways that what we're doing, we're doing out of love. But a lot of times people don't question and don't ask, what does love really mean to you? I would ask people that when we would date. It's hard to date someone who's a teacher, you know, because we, we want to know, what do these words mean? Um So I think we could use this season by saying, okay, and here's another thing that we do in our family, which I love, and I found this idea. Oh, where did I find it? I don't know. Maybe on Pinterest. So it was a gratitude tree, and you make it out of a paper bag that you um, can just take the bag and cut in pieces and twist it and then stick it in a jar and then on maybe five or six piece of paper you could either photocopy it or draw them and cut them out and little kids are great at cutting stuff like that out um, because they cut stuff all day at school so I would have the kids cut the leaves out we would make leaves of different shapes there would be leaves that were pointy leaves that were round leaves that you know different leaf shapes 
And on each leaf, they would write something they were grateful for, something they were thankful for, something that made them feel happy. And I did this in my yoga classes, too, and the kids loved this exercise. And the things that they would say were so sweet, so sweet. And then I thought, I need to get the older kids to do this and get my husband to do this and anyone that was an adult that, you know, knew me to do it and say, what are the things that you're grateful for? When we are coming from that mindset, your heart is open, you're, you're in a different place. And it's not about what I don't have, it's about what I do have, right? Where if we are breathing and we woke up in the morning, we are blessed. If we have clothes on our back and food that we've been able to eat at least once a day, we are blessed. So that would be where I would start people out. How do we bridge this divide? I don't have all the answers for that, to be honest. I wish I did, because if I did, I would put it out. You know, if it was something I could put in a pill or in the in the air, I would put it in the air. Um, we just have to keep trying to share the message, but we also have to be the message. I would tell my students, be the yoga off the mat. Oh, you can do yoga when you're in a quiet room and it's relaxing and peaceful. That's not the only way you do yoga. You do yoga, can you do it in the line in the store when somebody's child is screaming next to you or um, having like a tantrum or, or someone's being mean or can you step in and say, I'm not okay with what you're doing here. Um, can you be the person that you think you are or that you want to be? That's a question, right? That's a choice everyone gets to make. So it's like, what about the people at your table? Who are you inviting? Are they coming with love? Are you coming with love? Are you making your food with love? Are you thinking about it when you're making it? Um, and I think that when we look at people and say they're less than or other, it's because that person doesn't have a foundation of love. If you have a foundation of love, you don't look at other people as less than. You look at other people as other people who are trying either to do their best or to you know, try to figure it out as much as they can. I think that's really hard because we're in all these places now of division and separation. And that is by design, right? That, that there's an intentionality behind that. And the more you can, maybe you go and do random acts of kindness where, and I've done this before and I have to say, I feel so amazing when I do it. Um, I was in a, a program and that was one of the assignments. So I paid for a lady. Um, I don't know. I was in the 99 cent store and I paid for, I put $20 towards her purchase and walked out. Um, or, you know, I, I take my children to go serve in different communities and we might give out food, we might give out clothing, um, we make hygiene kits with the kids and we, and I'm telling you like, yes, the people appreciate when you give it to them, but we feel so full of love and joy 
that we almost feel guilty. We're getting more out of this than the people we're trying to help. So anyone who looks at someone as an other or less than is not someone who's following those basic tenets of love. So those, we call them basic tenets of love. Uh, But many would say that... that, um, Many would say that those tenants seem to be falling by the wayside today. And so you mentioned uh, a a purchase for someone. So what I was going to ask you was, how do you think the pursuit of money erects barriers to us demonstrating love with one another? How do we – the pursuit of money? The pursuit of money. Okay. Well, so, you know, we know that money is really just a vehicle for exchange, and we're creating an arbitrary fake sense of value, and that's the issue, right, is that what do people value? Well, they value what they've been taught to value. They value what they see other people value. They value what their maybe their family and their culture value and money some people pursue money with a vengeance some people pursue it with vigor some people pursue it kind of haphazardly some people are born into it so they don't even understand about pursuing it because they've been given it so it's not something they have to pursue i think that it is okay to pursue money, but if money becomes more important to you than anything else, then you are sacrificing your soul for that money. It, I, I, you know, I think that people need money in this society in order to live and pay for their housing and their food and their clothing. But if money is above all else, then you become like a slave to the money. Right. And so, again, it goes back to like people who are who are full or religious or spiritual. All those people claim to be connected to a higher energy and power that is really an essence of love. But what is funny sometimes, even yoga teachers, right, I've seen yoga teachers who are driving, you know, Mercedes and my other car is a yoga mat, but they are some of like some of the best and some of the worst people. And I think it, it takes all kinds. I would tend to say this. I understand that there is an intention behind pulling our society apart, but look at all the ways that our society is trying to come together. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the things that people are using, Marco Polo, what's the new one? I forgot, TikTok, and there's another one that, um, where everyone's going in and talking. I can't remember what it's called now, but I know I am in there. I hardly go in there because I don't have time, but there's another thing, and I forgot what it's called, but people go in and talk on there. So I feel like, yes, there is a little bit of um, banality and some lack of, there's a serious lack of compassion going on, but on another level, there's people trying really hard to connect to other people, 
I don't I don't necessarily believe like all hope is lost. I just think that we need to redirect our attention and our energy and really focus on what it is that we really say we value because money isn't really it. I mean, I'm not saying money is bad or evil. I'm just saying that it's not the thing that when you ask people when they die, what was the most important thing to you? They don't say, my money, can you throw it in the coffin with me? You know, they're not talking about that. They're talking about what it is they wish they had done in their life or who they had spent more time with or who they had let know that they loved. And one of the greatest regrets people ever talk about is, I didn't tell them I loved them before they died or they didn't know I loved them. They don't say, I didn't buy them those shoes or they didn't have that cologne or they didn't have that car. They say, they talk about love. So it's so interesting that you said what people do or say in their last moments on the planet. But someone told me that you can, there's a, there's a few ways that you can tell what's really valuable to a person. And one of those things is when you walk into a person's house, what is the first thing that grabs your attention? Because whatever that first thing is that grabs your attention was probably intentionally put someplace to grab your attention or to be available to the occupant or occupants of the home. As an example, maybe a person who's into botany may have a house full of plants. So when you walk into the right. house, not help but notice the plants. Right. Maybe a person is a reader. So when you walk into their home, <laughs> what you see are books here and there. Right. right? Or maybe a per- it's what a person spends their time on because time is something that you can't get back. And notice I use the word spends their time on. But right. maybe a person spends a whole lot of time playing or watching sports, maybe other than working and sleeping, the next thing that they spend the most time on is playing and or watching sports or gambling or, or hiking, right? Or maybe they're working in the community, but it's where they use their time, something that they can, mm-hmm. they cannot um, get back. Well, when we go into people's houses today, if that is true, what do you, from the people that you know, without calling any names, what do you typically see as the center of their house that may not definitively, but may represent what is most important to them? Well, I think it depends on the people, like you were saying, and what their values are. So I think it also depends on what kind of space they live in and also what country, right? Like I've been to India, and when you walk into the house, the 
the, the living is on the perimeter and everybody comes together in the middle. And the house smells beautiful with all these beautiful scents and, you know, amazing Indian food and people are grandmas there and the cousins are there and the kids are running around. So you see this like vivacious, loving house. That's been my experience walking into a lot of black homes too. Um, When you're talking about like the holidays, I think you're going to see different things that you're going to, you know, you're going to see, but I I hear what you're saying. Like if someone's a reader, like in my house, there's a lot of books. Um, I've been told I shouldn't have any more books, but I'm still going to have more books. Um, Cause I, I love learning and I'm a lifetime learner. Um, So I think it depends, right. On you, sometimes you'll walk in and see opulence. And for somebody that could be because they grew up without, and they want to show that they have now, or it could be that that's what makes them happy. It could be that that's what motivates them. It could be that that's what excites them or they think is really valuable and important. Um, For me, I mean, I think when you come into my house, you're going to see a kid (laughs) right away. (laughs) One of them is going to come up to you or some, you know, puppies. Um, And, I think that, you know, you're going to feel the energy of the people whose home you're in. And when you walk into my house, you see my yoga space. And that is something that is very important to me. And we use it in a lot of different ways. And um, I think I think it depends on the the person, you know. I really think it depends on the person and what their and the family and like what is their what is the thing that they do value the most so i want to get into you mentioned it earlier of having uh, black children Mm -hmm. and whatever your thoughts of love were prior how has having black children impacted your thoughts and actions of love in other words mm-hmm. if, if you can add, or if you can add in how did it change how you saw this country oh <laughs> well okay wait those are two very different questions but <laughs> uh i think uh okay I think I would have to go back in time a little bit in my story and say that before I even had black children, my thoughts and actions of love were significantly changed by dating in um, outside of my, what my race or my um, community that I was raised in and seeing how people were treating someone that I either cared about or loved very differently than they were treating me. And I was not okay with the way that I was watching different people get treated um, that I cared about or were friends with or was, you know, in a relationship with or loving. And that never, ever sat okay with me. And, again, that that kind of 
went back to like, I don't know, I, I've always been into words, right? And if you tell me and you make me listen to Bible or this pastor or this preacher or this priest or whatever you having me listen to, and these people are talking about this is how you're supposed to do this if you're under the guise of love, and I'm watching someone do something and I'm going, that's not love. That's not what I got told. This is what I got told. And what you're doing is very different. So I was never one to be okay with it, and I was never one to be quiet about it. So first and foremost, that's been consistent since I was little. Like, I was the kid that my mom would be going, oh, God, like, this kind of mean relative might come over. And Heather's going to say, it's not okay for you to act like that. I don't know why you think you can do that. (laughs) So... Um, having black children, what that did was to, it did a lot of things. One, it made me feel like I had to be fiercely competitive, not competitive, I'm sorry, protective over them. Like I had to try to use my whiteness to shield them from some of the harshness and the racism in the world as much as I could. And then you come to realize you can't. And like I said before, it's like your heart walking out in the world, right? So now, now I can't protect, I can't protect them all the time. So I have to teach them to love themselves and understand that regardless of what people do or say, if they take your values, if they take your peace, if they take your joy, and if they take your sense of self, they've taken everything from you. So in order to love yourself, I've taught my children this, in order to love yourself, you must understand that what you value and, um, you know, what you are grateful for, what you believe, and who you are as a person and how you treat other people if anyone can change that because of the way they treat you, then taking everything from you. They don't get to have that. Not everybody gets to be your friend. You you can love the the world, but you don't have to let everybody into your personal space. That's something you protect. Um so that 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 changed, but I have to say that I have been embraced and welcomed more in black and brown homes and families and communities than I ever have been in white family homes and communities. How I saw the country, it made me, it challenged my concept of love because I know what I choose every day, but I also understand and know that that is not what everyone else is choosing every day. And so I had to shift and pivot, and we have to shift and pivot a lot um, to teach my children just because other people are going to come a certain way does not mean we come that way, and it doesn't mean we leave that way, and we don't take their stuff with us. We leave it where they lay it. If, If it is bad or it is lacking in compassion, empathy, gratitude, hope, love, kindness, you leave it where they laid it. Don't take that with you because you don't need that. And that's not what you're made from, and that's not who you are. So don't pick up somebody's, like, poop and put it in your bag and then wonder why you smell 
like poop later. Don't take that with you. Leave it where they laid it. They laid it on the ground, let it stay there. You know, as you were so saying, that, that, that's, that's quite the, um, it, it creates quite the visual. Because when a person yes, I, uh, yes. leaves a pile of poop someplace and walk away from it to keep from smelling themselves up, you know, it's, it's just such a visual representation. But, but also I got the image of this, though, is I got the image of people bringing bags wheelbarrows, dump truck, and leaving it into certain communities. And yes. even and, and yes. they leave. And even though the people in the community didn't do it, when others come to that community, what they see is piles of poop. What they smell But I would say this. I would say this, though. Poop. Yes, and I agree with you, and I think that that has definitely happened. But if you go into those communities and you actually talk to people and you actually hear what they're saying and you listen with compassion and you listen with understanding, you are going to see that while there may be a pile of poop over on the side or wherever, that's not who those people are. And just because people keep dropping their poop doesn't mean that those people are even smelling it or experiencing it. They might know it's there and they'll walk around it, but that that does not and, – and just like I hear what you're saying, and I think that that definitely happens and it should not happen, and there's definitely a spirit, though, of determination to move in a direction – that doesn't go over and go, let me go pick that poop up that someone left in the corner because I better put some in my pocket to carry around today. Wow, look at that poop over there. Now, I wish that I used to say this to my students because there's a really great book called Who Ordered This Truckload of Dung? And in that, I thought, if someone came, and I would say this to my son because sometimes he would get upset about things people might say to him, I said, so it sounds like someone tried to throw some poop at you. And he would say, they did. And I said, did it hit you? Did it land on you? Or did you duck and let it go to the floor? Or did you pick it up? And you said, oh, I'm going to put some of this in my pocket and carry it around with me today. He would be like, mom, I would never do that. I said, well, think about it. Because I know I have sometimes. Someone has lobbed things at me and I've said, whoa. And I've picked it up and I've taken it on and I've carried it around and then wondered, why did I feel so bad later? Because I picked someone's poop up and you wouldn't actually do it with your bare hands. But if someone drops it on your doorstep, would you get a shovel? Would you go out the back door and leave it there? You're probably going to move that stuff. But maybe you know, let uh, it pile up. It's an interesting thing, phenomenon in politics. Because you have two candidates. One candidate is well-liked and appreciated for the positive works that they do and the image that they represent. And then you have another candidate who is just the opposite, Kind kind of a malcontent, right? But they're vying for the same office. And the malcontent knows 
that he or she is a malcontent. So since they know that they can, they cannot be anything more than what they are, a pile of poop. But the other person <laughs> isn't, right? So what they'll do is they'll take some of that poop and smear it all over the other person's shirt. And that person can wipe it off, but it still leaves a stain, especially in that nice white shirt. And even though they washed it off and maybe there was some rain that came, so you're not able to see it, but whenever you walk around someone, you can see that they're like, there's some poop around here. And but I think that so, requires that person to probably say, I'm going to go get a different shirt, and maybe I won't stand so close to that person so they can't throw it at me this time, or a person who's had this experience and say, let us join together and say no more. That person is not allowed to put that poop in my house, in my neighborhood, in my car, on my shirt. No. And you know what? You don't even get to maybe be that close to us anymore if you cannot control your poop and where you're putting it. Because it really belongs in the toilet. As we move away from the poop, uh, (laughs) this is the season of love because it's Thanksgiving. And in order to give thanks, you have to give love, whether it's to someone or something, it is a recognition that you have received whatever it is that you've received, and you appreciate yeah. that. So, of course, in the last uh, 20 minutes of the show, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, love is sort of a combination of hope, uh, empathy, right? We shared mm-hmm. how that creates uh, compassion and all so, so we become thankful. So list a couple of things that you're thankful for personally. And just a couple of things. What, what's the first, maybe two or three things that come to mind that you are thankful for in this season of Thanksgiving and love? Mm. Well, I would first and foremost say that I'm definitely thankful for my family my um, husband, he's an amazing human that I'm very blessed to walk through this journey with. And then my children that I'm so fortunate to have a front row seat at their in their life and watch them in their amazing, um, just their incredible capacity for love and their kindness and their funny humor and their wisdom and their, they're just, really my favorite people. Um, So I'm very blessed in that regard. But we are, you know, I tell them we are building the family that we want. Um, And then I would probably say that I'm very grateful for my health. Um, Being a stage four cancer survivor and walking through the potential of not seeing my children grow up or not getting another day with my husband or not being able to work with or teach other people or learn from other people or have adventures. Um, That was all very real for me about 
12 years ago. And the fact that I get to move without that, I'm very grateful for that. And um, I'm very grateful for yoga. Yoga saved my life. I'm very grateful for people like you because you are the kind of person who gives me hope when I have a day that maybe I feel like someone dropped too much of their poop on me and I say, wait a second, <laughs> I got to start thinking, of, I got to think about people that, uh, that give me hope and that, that remind me that I can get back to that space and say, okay, someone like you, you really give me a lot of hope for the future and for my children. Cause I know there's a person like you out there and I know there's a person like me out there and I know you and I are not, the only people like us and it just reminds me to go back to have compassion and say okay I can get back here and I can get because that's really where joy is found too right and I think that the more people find joy the more people return to love and the more it spreads and then you know you've got this like wildfire effect kind of thing so um, those are probably some things that I'm grateful for and I'm I'm vegan, so I'm grateful for yummy vegan food, and um, I'm I'm grateful for a lot of things this year. You know, we're we're not fully um, down under and locked down and and all up in our each other's faces with being locked up in COVID. So I'm really grateful that we get to be outside and we get to see other people and. Um, and I'm really grateful for nature because every time I go into nature, I feel like the DNA shift in my body. And um, I'm really grateful that I understand and know what compassion and empathy are because they have been two of the greatest gifts of my life to open my heart and my soul up for amazing, amazing experiences. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing those very personal things and reasons why you give thanks. So when I was putting the show together and uh, a, a little bit in a rush just because of the way my day was today, I was thinking about the things that I'm thankful for. Mm-hmm. But then I thought about the things that not only should I be thankful for, but that we, as members of this country, should what we should be thankful for, but either we're losing it or we don't have it. And so the, mm. one of the questions that I asked and to the listeners out there, and oh, by the way, if anybody wants to comment, press 1 on your, your keypad, if you're listening on your computer and you want to call in and, and share what you're thankful for or uh, ask a question, you can dial area code 516-531-9535. That's 516-531-9535. And when you want to talk, if you can press uh, 1, and that will give me an indication that you're not just listening, but you want to speak. And I see we have uh, one caller from 347. Uh, I'll bring you in. Um, but I, I did want to ask, what 
of the things that you and the many things you have to give thanks for, what is something that you want to give thanks for, thanks for, that you don't have, whether personally and or in society? And then right after that, we'll bring on the caller. Um, what, okay, so what, I think I'm a little confused about the question. Do you mean something that, like, okay, so like an example, would this be something where I'm thankful for, let's say, um, people who are continuously innovating and learning and creating things that might help us in the future? Is that like an example or no? So that would be an example of what you're you're thankful for. Uh, but what is it that you want to be thankful for or you think oh, the I country like should to... be thankful for that I think we the don't country have should be to thank... be thankful for? Okay. I think the country should be thankful for all the people who continue to show up and try to make this country a better place. And that's all the people, not just some of the people who look a certain kind of way. I think that the country could do so many things, right? The diversity of the minds and the hearts and the spirits of the people that are here in this country are amazing. And if we celebrated that and lifted people up, then we would have, I mean, it would be unreal and unstoppable and amazing what, we could and should do, but because people are not doing that, that's preventing that from happening. But I am grateful for when that does happen and people lift others and celebrate the diversity and differences and that we grow as humans and we become better people because of the gifts and sharing that other people do. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and bring our caller in, uh, area code uh, 347. Uh, welcome to the show. We're talking about really this spirit of Thanksgiving, um, thankful, hope, empathy, love, and compassion. What would you like to share with us this evening? Hi, Rodney. Hi, Mrs. Barry. Um, this is Shapola and uh even though it's three four seven, you know I live here in Las Vegas. I want to say that I appreciate that analogy about picking up other people's poop or leaving <laughs> it there because I think I think it's I think it's such a, a appropriate way to think about how we balance our inner peace or how we try to uh, walk away from the chaos um, that we encounter on a daily basis. But I think one of the mm-hmm. things that um, affects us when we are thinking about that is have we been taught those kinds of lessons? And mm-hmm. growing up, I know that may have been touched on upon, you know, we heard sticks and stones may break up, break my bones and sayings like that, but to go deep into the analogy of how we let other people's mess affect us is such a more powerful kind of lesson to be 
revisited and given examples because most of us are walking around carrying um, our own poop and others for decades and wonder, wondering why we are in this position now. Um, in terms of gratitude, I think that goes back to that analogy because a lot of us here um, in this country, especially in the, in the um, situation we find ourselves in right now, we're looking for others to blame for that smell we're carrying around. We're looking mm. for other people to, to, to take vengeance upon because we didn't duck when somebody was throwing a horse dung at us or we didn't decide to change our shirt, um, whether we were taught that or whether we decided that we're just going to um, pay it for it negatively, we're looking for someone else to blame. So I think that's one of the things that, that we find ourselves in this contentious atmosphere because we was never really um, taught those lessons in depth because our parents or our parents' parents wasn't taught it. It was more like I suffered, and so now I'm going to show you um, that this is how suffering is. You know, we was going up, you know, mm-hmm. I was whipped, so you're going to get whipped. And so it's kind of carrying, you know, carrying on what we was taught, but not necessarily may have been the best way for us to have been raised. So I think going back to um, what we are thankful for, I think it goes to that reflection part. You know, I can be grateful. I can share um, compassion and love because I was taught that, that, and I was also taught that I don't have to carry someone else's mess around, you know, and I'm responsible mm. for how I feel. So I think that's an important lesson that so many of us don't learn until we're well into our uh, mature years, and then um, so many years has passed by when we're just carrying all this anger and, 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 and hatred when we could be just experiencing the bliss and the um, beauty of, of our lives. Well, can I add one thing? Because I, I really appreciate what you just said, and, and thank you so much for sharing that. I also believe that the people who are flinging their stuff around should also be taught you can't fling your stuff around like that. That's not okay. And you are hurting other people and traumatizing them, which goes back to the kind of consequence conversation. And it's not okay. And and you need to stop doing that. And that needs to happen also. In addition to teaching people what what is okay to not pick up, it's also important to teach kids especially stuff around. That's not okay. And it's not okay to try to drop your all this poop in someone else's neighborhood or their house or at all. And you have to learn how to deal with your own poop and stop throwing it at it, right? If a little kid tried to, tried to throw poop around, people would get very quickly involved in preventing that from happening. <laughs> and I think that it's really important that people understand that as well because what you said is – I think you're talking a little bit too about generational trauma and how it passes through the DNA and that can create a situation where somebody doesn't know anything but that feeling. And so how do we change that? Right. When it's embedded into someone's DNA or 
you know, your let's say your 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 surroundings feel like how can I be grateful for this? This doesn't feel like what I see on TV or on social media or whatever that looks like. This is the way it's. It, it, this is what good is supposed to look like. And I think that there's a lot of what comes from families is what bridges the gap between what people see and what they're told and then what they really know to be true. So I appreciate what you were saying about how, you know, we want to make sure we teach people don't pick up other people's mess or you don't have to carry it around for decades. But in addition to we're maybe looking for other people to blame, we also have to know who are the helpers. How do we find them, right? How do we teach kids to be resourceful, not just in what they shouldn't have, but also what they should and what they deserve? And, and, and I think that that's really important to teach also. But I really appreciate what you were saying. If if I can uh, add to that, I think when uh, when we're raising children, that's something that we have to deal with within ourselves before we can mm-hmm. help our younger people. And so it's kind of we're going through our own stuff and in the process learning how to be a parent or learning how to parent. And so we're learning all of these lessons or unlearning some of these lessons. lessons. So it kind of gets... Mm-hmm caught up in that process because we have yet to learn it. So if we have yet to learn it, we have yet to show our younger generations all those things that can help benefit them. So I think that's part of part of it if we take it upon it because being a parent is about being a parent, but it's also about being the best version of ourselves. So Amen. in order to be the best version of ourselves, we kind of, kind of self-reflect, go back, relearn, and do all these things, and still try to manage being um, a guardian for this young person or this, this soul on earth. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, yes, yes, yes. So, Sister Sequila, what is it that you have to give thanks for in this Thanksgiving season of love? Wow, uh, so many. I think first... Uh, my family, my family, um, biologically, and my family here in Vegas. I think that uh, moving here has shown me a, a lot that my family had to go through just trying to make ends meet. And it definitely mm-hmm. makes me more grateful about um, the process and the, the struggle just to to live and to to keep a smile smile on my face. So I'm thankful for my family at home and my family here um, in Vegas. Hmm. Nice. And so I have to ask the same question as to Heather. What is it that this country doesn't have to be thankful for that you wish they did have to be thankful for? Shaquila, are you there? I'm here. Yes. I'm sorry. Did you hear the question? 
Yes, I thought she was um, asking Mrs. Barry. Um, no, no, this is for you. Okay. I think where it goes back to what both of you were saying about um, the togetherness and, and the compassion, I'm, I'm not the most compassionate person in the world, but I think that when you can sit down together with someone and try to meet them where they're at, I think that we could use a lot more of that instead of, instead of just believing everything we was said to and not investigating for ourselves because we're in a great turmoil. And that's all we, because we've been, a lot of us been listening to the lies and the nonsense of people from the past and people who are stuck in the past. Mm. You sound like a very compassionate person to me, but maybe it hasn't been pointed out to you enough. You have a lot of Thank insight you. and wisdom. I'm working on it. <laughs> you, you know, I think um, one of the things that's really interesting is when we have a tender heart, but it's been stuck in. Not, I hate to go back to it, Rodney, but it's so powerful. So when people have been throwing poop at a tender heart, then the heart has to harden, right, in order to survive. But I think that there's something I thought today that made me think about this line I don't remember what movie it's from but it's like a broken heart it still goes beating the same right a heart can be broken but it still goes on beating just the same and I think that real real like like you are saying real compassion real empathy we have to start with ourselves first and that sometimes we, we learn it if we're lucky, we learn it. I didn't learn it, and I didn't really learn that in in my family growing up as much as I would have liked to, but um, I did learn it along the way, and sometimes I learned it from what I wasn't getting as opposed to what I was. Um, but I think that one of the things, like, right, like we should be grateful for the, the things that this, that we, that this country does have that are good and that are right, which is the diversity, which is the the incredible minds and hearts of the people that are here. But I don't know that that's where a lot of people are at right now because there's just so much frustration and and focus on the things that are all going wrong. Because the things that are going right, they don't sell newspapers kind of way, you know. So and last minute of the show um i want to give the last word to you heather everyone we've been talking about uh thankful hope empathy love and compassion with heather uh burton berry and if you can want to share where people can get a hold of you and your closing comments you have about 40 seconds um, okay, people can get a hold of me at, um, you can check out my Nothing But Love Roundtable Talks if you're interested in being on an episode on YouTube. You just type in Nothing But Love Talks. Um, it would be great. I would love to have a conversation with you on there. And you can find me on Instagram at BB underscore LV Yoga Mama on Instagram. Um I just feel really blessed that I get to be on here talking with you, Rodney, and thank you so much to our uh, beautiful guests. Um, And 
I just am, I'm really proud of the things that you share and the, the love that you put out into the community, Rodney. And I just want to always thank you for the inspiration that you give me on a regular basis and my son and my children who see you and watch you um, and all the people who choose love because it's hard to choose love. But when we do, we create more blessings and we become, you know, we become the the thermo the thermostat. We become like the barometer of what people look to to see maybe how to be even if they weren't taught it. And that would be and I would well, say namaste. You know, namaste and please go and spread some love today. That's that's what I would like to say. Well, what a great way to close the show. Uh, Sister uh, Sequila, thank you so much for calling in and sharing. Uh, to everyone, thank you for listening, and I wish you all from our own voices and the entire Speak Up family a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope that you will find things to be thankful for. All right, everybody. Thank you, Heather. I appreciate you joining us. Have a great Thanksgiving and enjoy your son's homecoming. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very excited about that. And thank you and happy Thanksgiving to everybody, too. All right. Thanks again. All right. Good night, everybody. You all have a good Thanksgiving, and we will see you back here again soon. Bye-bye.